Angus, well, welcome to Millennial Manhood, man. Welcome aboard. Great to be here. I'm not so much millennial anymore, but not that I was to say anymore. That means I changed a generation. <laughs> you're you're pan generational. You 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 jump around from boomer to boomer Perfect. to Gen X to uh, to all the things. Well, so so uh, we're doing this virtually, but we're in the same city. So six one five. Here we go. Maybe six two nine. If Come you on. if you uh, if you ran out of phone numbers. Um, which I just realized that's our other area code. I didn't even know. Right. It's uh, bizarre. Yeah, it is. I've never actually met somebody besides scammers with that area code. Um, so Angus, tell us, tell us who you are. What's your story? What's the 10,000 foot view? Why are you a millennial manhood? Why am I a millennial manhood? Why are, why are any of us <laughs> so, listening? So the, the, the way I got into this, I was first born with, um, the, the gender, uh, reveal. Um, I was born uh, with an identical twin and, um, we came into the world uh, down in Houston, Texas. Flash forward, uh, my first business I started with my brother mm. uh, when we were 20, 28, 29 years old. And I, uh, uh, I, my brother ended up getting married and then his wife got pregnant. And so he got a little distracted pretty quickly from yeah. the business. And so it left me kind of holding the bag. And we had run a music festival as part of our business uh, and, and adventures. And that first music festival, we had headlined by a bunch of big bands. One was a band called train and they went on to do some good things, but we had rain showers come in and I needed 4,000 people to show up and only 1400 did. Mm. So I lost $72,000 that week. Ooh, um, it's an expensive lesson. It was a very expensive lesson um, and it got more expensive um, because I needed to turn the ship around. My ego was attached to the business and dude, um, I did what all of us do. I started working, you know, longer hours, 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks. And um, my wife, she didn't really think that was too cool. And so I felt alienated from her. So I felt alienated from, you know, others that weren't helping me that I thought should, but I didn't know how to ask for help. Mm. I just, you know, put my head down and, um, and shouldered the load and under the pain of that pressure that I was applying to myself, I turned to porn Mm. and then that shame and guilt and frustration turned into alcohol. Mm. And then I started sleeping around because I thought this will fix things. Mm. It was a sense of control. I was trying to, you know, regain my life and, um, here we are going deep fast in short order. I lost the business, lost my marriage, you know, lost my sense of self. And for the next three years, um, was counseling and trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Flash forward uh, years later, after I've gone through a lot of you know, human behavior and, and psychology and and you know, kind of figuring out my own crap, um, I started working in corporate. I was running an association of Fortune 500 brands, and so I'm surrounded by people who are working at General Electric and Walmart, uh, Airbnb, uh, shoot. Uh, BMW, Coca-Cola, like all these big brands. And I found that many of them were following some of the same patterns that I had gone through. And so here I was on calls where we were supposed to talk about innovation or, you know, digital transformation. Instead, we're talking about personal issues. And I started to realize like, I've got a gift. I've got a thing for this. And I started to explore what does it look like to start coaching? And over the last several years, um, I turned into that's exclusively what I do. And I'm exclusively focused on men Mm. because I think men, we have a a lot of challenges in the current climate that we're in. 
And that kind of brings us here together today. Mm, interesting. Okay. Wow. Way to go deep quick. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad you did that. Here's my personal two cents on coaches. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are some exceptional coaches out there. I've hired coaches. I'm not inherently against the industry. I think there are people out there who do a damn good job. Um, there are also so many charlatans out there, snake oil salesmen, full of crap. Let me just sell you a program. Oh man, I'll give you a special discount. It's only seven hundred dollars for They're this. They're my favorite. <laughs> oh. But he, but here's the thing: they never actually talk about any anything real. So you kind of went real pretty quickly. Um, and that's always something that I'm curious about with the podcast is I've scrapped episodes where people, where it's obvious mm-hmm. that people are just, it's just a, you know, a facade of a story mm-hmm. they're sharing. So I'm curious about this. So you lose, what was it? $72,000 in a week, which, um, yeah, that's a lot of money, um, for anybody. And you said you're going to turn this ship around because your ego was invested in it. So I've been exploring mm-hmm. this topic a lot, especially with young men, especially with, young men who um, are results driven driven in the sense that they want to achieve things in life because mm-hmm. inherently when you want to achieve things in life, whether you like it or not, and that's, this is for women and for men, but whether you like it or not, it is because of your ego. Yep. That, that is what's driving sure. you to want to achieve things. The delicate balance aspect of it is how do you utilize your ego? How do you how do you use the capacity of your ego strategically instead of your ego using you? So elaborate a little bit more on that, on that, that ego being invested in that ego driving you and, and, and the, in the fall that came from that. Yeah. Well, some things I've come to discover is there's, there's a big difference between identity and ego, mm. right? Ego is the, is the evil side that I'm, I, I mean, my, it's all about me. Um, there's, there's some some difference of of semantics uh, between me and other some others, but I see ego as kind of this demanding little spoiled brat that's like trying to get their own, right? Versus shifting to an identity. And here's here's where the rub is. It is one thing to have high capacity, high achievement um, uh, realities in your life and do it from a place of altruism. Hmm. Do it from a place that creates movements and changes things whether it be in a business, whether it be in, you know, government or whether it be in, um, you know, social issues, the people that rise up have to have some kind of a drive. And if you study the Enneagram at all, you're going to find that there are different people who have different kinds of makeup and and their preferences on how they quick start, how they get things going. The more you study the psychology, whether it's a Colby A index or Myers-Briggs or um, Strengths Finders, you're going to discover like there's elements to our personality that are always this. You have strengths and you have overused strengths. And what I mean by that is you don't necessarily have weaknesses. Your weaknesses are actually your strengths overused. So once you start overextending you know, over indexing your strengths, you start spilling into weakness. So for me on the Enneagram, I'm a three wing two. I'm high driven. I got to get shit done. Can I say that on this show? Oh yeah. I encourage cousin. It's more real. (laughs) So I got to get shit done. Like I need progress. And if I'm not making progress, I feel like I'm wasting time, wasting space, wasting life. Mm. And so I'm constantly like, I love to work and I've had to learn to dial it back 
um, so that I have time for my family, time for my, my wife, time for life and my own mental health. And so when I meet, you know, young aspiring, a lot of my clients are like, you know, I've got a 26 year old client who's running his own solar power company. I mean, this kid's like kick ass. And he came to me at first saying, look, I dropped out of school. You know, I, I dropped out of high school. Like what makes me think I'm not going to drop out of my business too? Mm. And I said, well, what if we change the story? That's some interesting. Because that's a story you've built, right? Yeah. And I said, the story you've told yourself is that you quit on your high school diploma. What if I told you your, your capacity, your container was so big, it didn't require a piece of paper. And it required, your gift required you to get out into life, to learn the lessons you needed to learn in order to get the advantage you needed for your destiny. How's that for a better story? And these are the things that we all tell ourselves are these stories. So when we come to these young men who have these aspirations, it's A, why? What's the cause? Is it about you or is it about other people? B, what's your, um, what's your story you're telling yourself for the necessity of that? Again, is it about you or is it of somebody else? And then the third piece is, is it just supposed to be you doing this or do you need a team? Who else can help you? Because I believe the biggest power in our lives are from the who's, not the what's. Hmm. Dan Sullivan, Ben Hardy. They mm-hmm. just come on. They literally <laughs> just put out a book. Who, not what? Yep. Um, okay. Wow. Interesting. So, the, dude, I love this stuff. I'm sorry if I'm getting a little carried no, away. No, dude, run with it. I love open-ended uh, questions with nice run-on answers because that just gives me so much to work with. So the story, I want to elaborate on that. So the story that guy was telling himself, think about all the damage we cause in our own lives because of the stories we tell ourselves. And it's so hard to bring yourself out of a story because if you've repeated it over and over and over again so often, and realistically, the reason he has that story about dropping out of high school is because society has decided for him that you need to have a high school diploma. Mm -hmm. That's it. If this was 1870, no one would care. (laughs) Literally nobody. For sure. Um, the, the same way that, you know, in 1960, nobody would have cared that you dropped out of college. It's like, okay, whatever, move on, move on. But how do you help? How, what would you say would help more young men in particular? I'm talking about the twenties and thirties step outside of themselves, obviously hiring a coach that actually knows what you're talking about, but step outside of themselves and step outside of that story. Is there an exercise you could teach? Is there you know, a, a thought process or a way to approach it to like, okay, let me analyze this thing that's obviously tormenting me. How do we break this down? <laughs> well, actually, I have a proprietary exercise I can take you through. Um, <laughs> it's only seven hundred fifty dollars. Here's my Venmo. Uh, I, yeah, I, uh, I, I actually do have a tool, and and way that we go about doing it is taking a look at some specific areas in your life, and I, I, I look at seven different areas, and. And some of the stuff uh, you can find in Tony Robbins has some stuff. Um, Brennan Burchard has some stuff. They're, like there's tools that are out there and available. And if you're listening, like if I were to speak to you, I would say, you know, bake out these, these three things. Number one is whenever you set, set out to do something new, something is going to arise. Something's going to get in the way. Either it's going to be procrastination, imposter syndrome. You're going to get distracted by shiny objects. Um, observe what it is that gets in your way the moment you start to do something new. Then 
you, and you can create a little graph for this, like look at these different areas of your life. So the areas of your health, you know, your weight, your, your physique or whatever, your relationships, your work, you know, let's just stop there. I, think it's, I, I won't go through all seven, but let's just say those three pieces. So each time you try and get a new relationship, if it sabotages, if it you know, falls apart, or do you feel like you're dating the same girl over and over again or the same guy over and over again, just with a different face? Mm. Well, that's telling more about you than it is them because you're the only common denominator. Mm. Yep. If you observe your work, hey, every time I'm trying to start a new thing, I get distracted because of this, this, and this. Well, write all those things down. And then in the next column, write down why. What is the fear, the thoughts, the impulses that you're feeling that you feel are driving you into these places? And then the next column, the third column, is write down what is it costing you? Where have these things been dragging your life or bring it to a standstill in those areas? And then the fourth column is, what would happen in your life if none of those existed? How much opportunity would you have in these areas and what would be possible? And if you can break down those four pieces, you can uncover and unlock and unleash areas of your life because you've told yourself a story to why you do what you do. And you've become beholden to that because it is your identity. And so is it okay if I go a little bit deeper here? Yeah, go to town. So in psychology, you have like a belief box. Like if you were to think about, you know, how you see yourself. And in that box, everything is normal, even if it's chaos. At least you know what to expect. And this is your comfort area, your comfort zone, some would say. And then anything outside of that is strange, foreign, intimidating, or what have you. And when you start to step outside of that and you get in this challenge area, it's as if the universe trying to brings all this resistance against you to push you back into that box. Like, what are you doing out here? What do you think you are? What, 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 what are you doing? And it's your subconscious trying to keep you safe. Yeah, your body wants homeostasis, basically. Yeah. And so here your neurons are firing to say, you're warning, warning, warning. And you have to normalize this new way, this new behavior, this new thinking so that you can expand the size of that box because inside that box, you are limited to what you can see, what you can experience, and who you can relate to. And until you can get past that box, people can't really be successful in some of the areas of their life that are threatening them. Joseph Campbell said, in the cave you fear to enter lies the treasure that you seek. So therefore, some of the things that you think are scary, are actually just your, your hits of uh, adrenaline and you know, um, chemicals in your brain that are making you feel that emotion. But in reality, it's based on a story you told yourself about what that place represents to you. So interesting. You mind if I compare it to something Absolutely. tangible that I thought about as you were discussing that? The fear the growth of a bo- of of your box of the of the uh, belief box yeah the belief box what you think is possible so i'm part of this real estate group here in nashville and we had a speaker come about i guess a month ago and and this lady was really impressive i would say probably mid 40s maybe mm-hmm. late 40s 
PhD, all this stuff, you know, was retired, been retired for a long time, um, all off of real estate buying like just buying and not nothing even like it's not like she's like buying massive apartment complexes like just single homes every mm-hmm. every year and next thing you know she hasn't worked in 10 years and she talks about now also she is an immigrant who came mm-hmm. for uh you know uh, in the middle of a war to go get her graduate degree so this is the kind of person we're talking about and she was talking about how every time she mentions to somebody um, cause they're like, how do you not work? How do you do this? And she was like, well, I've got these properties, et cetera. They're like, oh, what happens if a water heater breaks? Or like, oh, what happens when somebody doesn't pay the rent? And she was like, y'all, this is her talking to us. She was like, in 20 years, I've had one water heater break and one bathtub backup. You know what you do when the water heater breaks? You buy a new water heater. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> you know what happens all the rest of the time? I get a check on time for every property every month <laughs> and I cash it. I've never had a property empty for more than two weeks. And she was like, these fears people have are like the most illogical extreme scenario you can possibly imagine. It's like, well, what happens if your house floods and uh, the owner, uh, the, the renter's kitten dies and then they sue you? It's like, well, you got insurance. Mm-hmm. They'll sue the insurance company. Like, what do you, what do you want? And it was just this really, we all laughed because we're all if you're in that group, you're already in the mindset of um, the, the difference between probable and possible are pretty extreme. But mm-hmm. it, it was just how many people I'm using real estate as, in this example, but we can use it in whatever. How many people are being held back from a better financial future or better freedom or the ability to retire quicker or, or build wealth for their family or whatever because of these completely irrational, extreme fears that are keep that are keeping their box of belief small? It's, and that's what we do. You know, when I work with my clients, <clears throat> some of my clients are startup founders, entrepreneurs, you know, stuff like that. And they'll come to me with this thing they want to do. I want to launch this app. I want to, you know, change jobs. I want to apply for this new role, blah, blah, blah. And I don't care what the thing is that they're aspiring to. The first thing I'm always working with is mindset. Mm. And money mindset is a big critical piece. And what you just described is where a lot of people get hung up is their perception of money. Mm. Um, there's some books out there, um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I mean, it's that's a classic. Like the go-to. Um, but if you want an easier approach where the language isn't you know, a little archaic, uh, go read uh, You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Chinchero. Um, <laughs> I've never read that it's one. A, Oh God, such a good book. And she's funny as hell. Like as you're reading it, you giggle out loud. So, you know, if you're in a coffee shop, just know you're you're probably going to giggle. You're a badass at making money. You are a badass at making money. Okay. Yeah. She wrote a, a, her first book was you are a badass and it's all personal development and it went bonkers. And uh, then the second book she released and that one went bonkers too. In fact, here you go. I got it right here. You're a badass at making money. Oh, yeah. I've seen that cover. I send this to my clients. Like you can see, yeah. If you go through like a Target or something like that, it's usually on the the rack. Okay. Um, So some of these books help you to see through a different lens. Uh, Wallace Waddles, uh, The Science of Getting Rich. Like these sound like, and even some of you are listening. You just heard the word rich and something in your brain went like, what? uh, Glitch, right? That is a story you've told yourself. Like if you came from the church, you took a scripture that said um, the love of money is the root of all evil, and you've translated to say that all money is evil. Mm-hmm. 
And it's no, the love of money, you know, the quest, like that money itself is a tool and a resource. And if you grew up in faith, you've get, probably got some really twisted perceptions of money. If you grew up in poverty, you think sometimes, hey, uh, my dad never made this much money. Who am I to think I can make this much money? My mom never made this much money. How can I? And you'll self-sabotage opportunities because of a story you told yourself about money. Instead, Oh, of, I had that uncle and he was rich and he was a dick. Yeah. So well, your rich uncle, people are Your dicks. uncle would have been a dick if you had been poor too. Precisely. <laughs> money only magnifies who you are. Yeah, he just That's got to be a rich dick. <laughs> it's absolutely true, right? Yeah. And so that's why you see some people who um, have a, a quantity of money, something happens and they lose it. In a very short period of time, they'll gain it back because their identity and understanding around money is not indicative of their identity of self. And so if they see themselves as a certain level, they'll just rebuild what they've done, which is why the majority of millionaires have at least had a, one bankruptcy in their lives. Yeah. And they bounce back because they learn the lessons and it's no longer personal. Whereas you take someone who doesn't have money, they win the lottery in five years, they're bankrupt because they don't have the foundation to sustain the understanding of money and management because it's not part of their DNA. It's not part of their identity. They haven't done the work of giving themselves the capacity to hold that big of a container. Well, and also just the ability of understanding. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but all money is just an exchange. Of, first of all, the dollars you have in your pocket are literally worthless. They mean absolutely nothing. Okay. Mm -hmm. They only even exist because you and I have fictitiously agreed that, Hey, we're going to, we're going to treat this as our means of exchange of value. Yeah. Okay. So that's all it is. Um, but I thought it was interesting about what you said about, the mindset of like, well, my dad never made this kind of money. My mom never made this kind of money. You should work to be better than your parents. Your parents want you to be better <laughs> than the, I mean, I'm, so I've shared this on Instagram and by the time this episode and stuff, and you and I talked about earlier, but my wife and I are expecting our first, our first kid in January and, uh, it's exciting. I'm terrified. I'm, I'm, I'm winging it, but I'm already thinking through, okay, how can I give uh, it's a girl. How can I give her every possible opportunity to go out there and crush it in whatever capacity she wants to? Like, I'm not looking, I'm not, I'm not imagining my daughter 20 years from now being like, oh man, I hope she's exactly like I was or my wife was it's like, no, I want her to be better. That's the whole point oh. of life. Mm -hmm. And you know, here's the, something I do with my kids, um, ever since they were conscious. So in, in between some of the story I told you about my life in the beginning, I actually spent three years as a stay-at-home dad. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, in 2009, I closed uh, another nonprofit that I was running because of the economy. And I came home to write the book about that season of my life I just told you about. You know, um, And so when I released that book, I was learning all about social business marketing and blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of how I got into the corporate world. But backtrack, when I was with my kids, the moment they became conscious, when I would put them to bed at night, and to this day, they're now, uh, I have a 26-year-old whose life, I, I didn't come into her life till she was nine. She was a product of my, my wife's practice marriage. Practice and then marriage. my other two, right? <laughs> and then my other two kids, um, they're now 12 and 11. But since they were, you know, babies, uh, infants, I should say, um, I've said, I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. Mm. 
And then now, as they've gotten older, the last probably six years, seven years or so, and I said, dream big, work smart, and don't quit. Why? And they respond to me, because I have what it takes. Ooh, I like that. And then the last couple of years, I've added, and every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. And then they'll trot off to bed saying, smarter and smarter, prettier and prettier, kinder and kinder. And they have this big competition, you know, like every night. That's kind of our routine. And my wife asked me um, some time ago, and she's like, don't you ever get sick of that? I'm like, nope. Yeah, like, that sounds I awesome. Am programming their minds to believe in themselves, to know that they are loved and they are, they can be lovable. Cause these are some of the things that I didn't grow up with. Yeah. And when you're intentional with your kids and here you are, you know, expecting a child, like you get to mold and to craft a world changing individual if you choose to. Mm. And most parents acquiesce to trusting the system to educate them and to guide them and to whatever. Yeah, no. And when it comes to manhood, especially, you know, here's our topic. My dad wasn't good at showing me emotional intelligence. Mm. He didn't show me how to have real empathy. He didn't know how to share emotion. To this day, my dad's like, I don't even understand what you do, Angus. <laughs> what, what is it that you do? Why do you get paid what you get paid? And uh, so I shared with him one time and I said, uh, well, by the way, he, he's come full circle now. Now he understands. But yeah. I had to share with him. I was like, you know, when people come to a point of transition in their life where they feel that resistance and they're bucket, butting up against, you know, some kind of a ceiling and they're like, man, why can't I get through this? I said, that's when they bring in a coach. And by the way, I think of myself more of a strat, like a strategist, like, um, like a, a coach sometimes has different, it elicits all sorts of different thoughts, including the negative ones that yeah, you yeah, keep yeah. mentioned that you mentioned. Um, but it's like, can I get you from a to B what it's going to take knowing what I know about you and give you the tools and resources to get there. Hmm. And my dad's like, huh? I probably could have used a coach many times throughout my life. Yeah. And I said, exactly. And when you have somebody who understands this kind of level of, um, of human behavior and psychology, they can help you like shatter those things so much faster. And it's almost like they collapse time because either they've been there, gone through it, or they know your industry, your space, and the tactics and strategies to get you there. And they bake it with a mindset or some kind of psychology that helps it undergird those strategies. It's so interesting. There's so you got me you got me thinking about different um just thought processes and like I'll go back to the example of like when I'm envisioning being a father and some of the things I want to teach my kids. One of my goals is for this kid, for all of them, God willing, mm -hmm. but for this one in particular, since this one is on the way, um I want to buy a property for her and uh, that property, it's going to be in my name, <laughs> but eventually it'll be in her name. <laughs> I don't think a newborn can buy real estate. Set up a trust. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll work through it. But um, I want to buy a property for her, something simple, a house, put it, you know, have it paid off within 18 years by the time she's going to college. And now that property is going to pay for her college if she chooses to go to school or if she, you know, maybe she gets scholarships, whatever. <clears throat> and then after college, it's a cash flow and property that, um, that she can utilize however she wants to. But 
that's to give her a leg up in life. In the meantime, mm -hmm. I want to teach her how to manage an asset, how to mm -hmm. handle, you know, all the issues and problems that come along with it, the good, the bad, the ugly, et cetera, how to read the PL, how to get a loan, how to, you know, all these different aspects. But why? Because I have zero intention to leave my family with nothing. Like that's mm -hmm. not happening. I'm not doing that. My nobody in my family has ever done that. And that, that's something that blows me away about American culture. I don't know if it's just the people I'm around or been exposed to, but everybody's like, oh, I don't leave, want to leave a bunch of stuff for my family. I'm like, you've never been poor then. Because mm -hmm. in, in, in the culture that I come from, which is a very, very unfortunate place from a historical standpoint, you're trying to leave as much as possible behind. Um, and that's how I view it. But I want to leave as much as possible behind to where they don't screw it up within a generation. Help them understand how to manage it. So that's teaching critical thinking skills. And, you know, in the same way that you're thinking about business and investing in the properties and stuff like that, you're helping your kid like see strategically like that applies across the board, like relationships that yep. applies to like their careers. And, you know, if they can think critically, think strategically, like you've already advanced them so many years. That's yeah. So it's interesting now as an adult. So my dad, I've talked about my dad and my upbringing a lot on the show. My dad always said his one goal in life was to teach my sister and I how to use logic. Um, mm. a, a good way of translating that in English would be critical thinking. He said, mm -hmm. logic, critical thinking, do not let yourself be manipulated. Do not let other people manipulate you via your emotions. Your emotions will betray mm -hmm. you. Um, and I remember this, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, because my sister's five years younger than I am. He, him and I were grabbing a beer or something. And he was like, you know, I can die now. I was like, well, okay, that's an extreme statement. <laughs> well, that's an upper. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but he meant in the sense of I can die now. I, I got both you and your sister to the point where I feel confident that you're you're going to use logic and you're going to use critical thinking in every aspect of life. I've done my job. I feel like mm. I've gotten to the point where you can do that. And, and if, if I were to pass away now, I've, I've done my job. And I thought that was really, really powerful because I do think in American culture in particular, because we're so wealthy as a country and people get pissed off at me when I say this, but there's people suffering, blah, blah, blah. Yes, there's people suffering everywhere in the world. If you're poor in America, you're still richer than damn near 90% of the world. Um, in America, we have let, we have gotten to a point where we let our emotions dictate our lives. And hence we let other people manipulate us via our emotions. We see mm -hmm. red, we don't think, um, whether it's, <clears throat> um, whether it's in business, whether it's in politics, whether it's in religion, whether it's in whatever, um, we get emotionally manipulated because for some one reason or another, culturally, we're not really flexing that critical thinking muscle. Yeah. And this is, this is, you know, part of, you know, that element of understanding right now in the season we're in, people are dealing with a lot of heavy stuff. Like mm -hmm. we were not designed to take in the amount of information, especially mm -hmm. bad, sad information like we are right now. Like our ancestors did not take in all the tragedies around the world in, you know, one news cycle. Yeah. And so one of the things I tell people, is like, you got to turn it off, like stay informed, but don't stay engaged. Like, well, if you turn, if you turn off. it off, you're probably more informed than if you turn it on. 
It's truth. Truth. Yeah, because um, and and here's this element of what you hear about, you think about. What you think about, you talk about. What you talk about, you bring about. Because mm. your brain is like this computer, a supercomputer. And so the stuff that you are putting in, and for all of you young guys, <clears throat> you know, I want to be super straight with you. I'm not trying to be prude. I'm not trying to be weird. But even the music, movies, things you listen to cause stimuli because mm. we are emotional beings. So if you're, you know, listen to a bunch of, you know, ass slap and trap music and you wonder why you're a horn, a horn dog, ass slap it's because you're feeding yourself, you know, all of this sexuality. And now you're jumping into porn and you're thwarting your heart, you're thwarting your perception of love, and then you're swiping left or right, <laughs> depending on what you're looking at. And now everything is a commodity. You mm -hmm. don't even know how to have a quality relationship anymore. Like this is the line of that continuum. In the same way, it's like, what if I take in personal development? What if I take in positivity, optimism, mindfulness? What if I consume into what I'm listening, the kinds of things that motivate and create the kind of man I want to become. Mm. I start listening to the people I want to emulate and imitate. And I start hanging out with people that are the, at the caliber I want to be. And now you imitate whom you associate, right? Because whatever you're putting in is coming out. And here's here's the rub. Your, your identity is like, you know, I... It, 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 it controls your life, how you see you. Mm -hmm. And so if what I said is true, what you hear about, you think about, you think about, you talk about, once you start talking about something, you've already processed it and you've created a belief around it. Yep. Listen to your words and you'll know how you believe. Listen to your words and when you say like, oh, of course that happened. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Oh, I'm so, and then you'll cover it up with, oh, I'm just kidding. It's like, no, you just showed your cards. Yeah. So you have to reprogram that crap, right? And here's the rub. How you see you, your brain loves equilibrium and will seek to validate through your experiences, relationships, and experiences. And so you create the world around you. So in that same way I said earlier today, or, or it's like if you're dating the same person over and over again, only with a different face, it's a product of your identities. On some level, you feel like you need to be punished or you're not worthy or deserving of true love. And so until you change the identity by changing the filters of what you're listening to and reframing the stories, you'll always be perpetuating the same pain because you'll keep attracting it over and over again. But once you elevate that sense of self, your brain goes into validation modes and it starts to elevate. And whether that's attracting or creating, whether that's law of attraction, whether it's karma, whether that's faith, whatever you want to call it, you start to create and attract the opportunities, relationships, and experience that now validated this higher level self. Interesting. I, I, you got me thinking about, I was talking to my sister and one of her friends, so they're 25, 26, whatever they are, um, here in Nashville. And Nashville's, you know, one of the just coolest cities in America. So there's tons mm -hmm. of young people here and all this other stuff. And we were talking, my wife and I were talking with them. We had them over for dinner about dating and how much dating just sucks. Um, mm -hmm. And their both of their perception of dating was nobody's serious about anything because everybody's just afraid to everybody's afraid that the next best thing is going to come up and they're going to miss out on it. And I was kind of thinking about that. My wife and I were talking about it because we were 24, 25, something along those lines when we met. 
And I think the reason we worked out one, we just, we were like best friends from the moment we met and just immediately hit it off. But, um, I don't think either one of us was waiting for the next best thing. Like if mm. that makes sense, neither one of us was afraid of like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to miss out on? It's like, no, I enjoy spending time with this person. And I like this person. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to stick around with this person because the reality of it is whatever next best thing, it's kind of like the real estate thing. It's kind of like the freaking, uh, uh, the, 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 the water heater the critical thinking. Yeah. Like it, it's like, what if the water heater goes out? What if the damn water heater goes out? What if what if what if somebody better comes along? What if somebody better comes along? Like, what is the point? Here's what I know is like the level of investment you put into something is the level of return you'll get. Yeah. And when you to your point, like they're waiting for the next best thing, but the what they don't realize is that the thing that's challenging in them about the current relationship is actually revealing how to become a better man. Mm. When somebody is psychotic, completely different story. However, yeah. Yeah. if she is challenging you and your sense of self, she's challenging you in how you communicate or don't communicate, challenging how you're present or not present, that is not a threat. She is calling you to a higher level. Yeah. And she's being used as a vessel to give you an advantage for your future, and you ain't listening. Yeah. Because I'll tell you what, nothing will dictate your future more than the caliber and quality of the woman you surround yourself with. Hmm. If she she is a a high caliber woman, then she will call out the best of you and you will rise to the occasion if you choose to. And And so if the woman is strong, that's actually a good thing. Yeah. If she's a bitch, well. That's another thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's a, but I mean, vice versa as well. If you, if you're, because a lot of our listeners are women, actually believe, actually, I Mm -hmm. think a majority, believe it or not, it's very odd. Um, If you, you know, if you have a, if you have a strong man, he's going to bring out the best in you. I mean, just a spouse in general, um, um, you know, whatever, whatever shape that may take. Yeah. It's a partnership. Yeah, it's a partnership. And I think about, I mean, if there's one person on God's green earth who calls me out on my crap, it is Tamara. She will go savage on me. <laughs> and, um, and I appreciate it because I love her. And I know it comes from a from a from a place of love. And it comes from, but she's also the most supportive person ever. I mean, she she will call me out on my crap, but she will also you know, believe in me like nobody else because she knows where my skill set is. And she knows, she also knows that I'm going to come through. Like I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to bankrupt our family. I'm not going to let us fall apart. I'm going to keep us safe, et cetera, et cetera. Like I'm going to fight for that. So she knows she can, she can trust me in that, in that space. So she supports me in that space. So, um, we're coming up on time. So unfortunately, but probably part two, maybe even in person. Beers, beers, and beers, and uh, discussions. Um, all about it. Question I always ask folks: Angus, Angus Beef. Um, you go back to eighteen-year-old you, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, excited about life. The world is your mm-hmm. oyster. Knowing all that you know about yourself at this point in life, and knowing all that you know in general, what's mm-hmm. one piece of advice you'd give yourself at eighteen? Don't take it all so damn personally. Ooh, okay. Elaborate. Um, There's so much of our life that we make about ourselves and we don't realize it. 
you know, opportunities don't come our way, doors don't swing open. We blame ourselves for some reason, like we're a victim. Mm. And so now the world's happening, you know, to us. I've since learned that the la- that is happening for us. You know, it's giving yeah. me wisdom and an advantage for my future, like I said before. And and so that would be number one. And then number two, I would say is um, don't don't uh, don't negate the adventure. Seek adventure. Go overseas. Go see the world. Um, if you're young and you're still single, um, one of the best ways that you can develop yourself is to be around other cultures, other foods, things that make you feel uncomfortable and give you a different mm. perspective. Um, I did some of that and it changed. In fact, when I was 18, I went to the Soviet Union. This is how long ago this was. Mm. Um, when it was the Soviet Union. So I spent two months traveling from city to city in the Soviet Union, which was at that time Soviet, you know, that was a communist republic. And I knew in America all the propaganda that these people were ugly, fat, and alcoholic. And what, and did, you, there, what did you find out? They were totally the opposite. They were wonderful and beautiful and kind and generous. Yeah. And all the stuff we've been fed negated them as human beings. And I've come to learn, you know, that's the way our media cycles work is where we have to create enemies. And this is part of our problem right now, even in the States is we can't have a logical conversation. All we can do is create enemies. Going back to that critical thinking is Mm. we think that everybody's on the other side, that they have to be an enemy just because they don't see it through the same lens. And if we want the world to come together, we have to understand that people are human beings and they do things with the knowledge that they have, limited or otherwise. They do things in the opinion of what they believe might be best for them. And they do it because they're trying to protect something important to them. Mm. And typically it's their own identity. Because when you challenge someone's belief, you challenge the way they see themselves. Mm. And most people are not going back to critical thinking or maturity or emotionally intelligent or self-aware enough to understand that their beliefs are just that, a story they've told themselves. And therefore, when someone challenges it, it's an opportunity for a discussion and learning, not a battle. Well, okay then. That was a hell of an ending. There you go. I love the I love that you talked about you know the dehumanization of others. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. when we talk about the evil of money, unfortunately mm-hmm. there's no way to make money by humanizing others. At least not not the large scales of money people are making by making us all hate each other. Mm-hmm. Um yep. and that's the most disgusting part of our our world today. So, thanks for coming on. This was awesome. I appreciate it. Um I know that's the awesome. audience will- and that's why I'm trying to change it. I I'm evolve men, you know, this whole thing is is I want to help men see through a different lens, help us well, evolve and rise to a place where we can all make money from a place of changing the world for good. One person at a time. That's what the podcast is one about. Uh, how home. can how can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me at angusnelson.com on Instagram at angusnelson. Or if you want to get some more insight on some of the stuff that I do, I have what's called the manhood matrix. 
you can find that at the manhoodmatrix.co. It's an alignment tool that'll show you through an acronym of manhood how to see your life through a different lens. Hmm. All right. Check it out, folks. And um, on our end, info at manhoodpod.com if you want to get a hold of me. Again, constructive criticism only. Don't just complain. You got to offer a solution. Don't tell me my, my voice sucks. Tell me how to fix my voice sucking. Uh, outside of that, uh, manhoodpod.com, social media, yada, yada. You know the drill. It's in the, it's in the description and the notes. Outside of that, um, again, Angus, thanks for coming on, and we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon.